What's going on, everybody, and welcome to the other side of the firewall podcast, where we talk about the latest and greatest cybersecurity news, as well as we highlight the movers and shakers and glass ceiling breakers, those people of color who made it to the other side of the proverbial firewall. My name is Ryan Williams, and this week I have special guest Chris Abacot. How are you guys doing? Glad to be back. What's going on? He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So, uh, Chris is local as well, so one of these days we're going to get in the same room. Um, but I got to figure out how that's going to work. I got to get a, a, a mic for that, right? Right. Um, but uh, definitely continue to tune in throughout the week. So uh, Shannon's on a much-needed vacation. So it's me and Chris all week. So Monday, Tuesday are topics, Wednesday's discussion. Uh, and then Thursday will probably be a throwback, just like we've been doing for the past couple of weeks, where I take an older episode, and I, I like to uh, highlight it, because that's either something to do with current times, or it's just yeah, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, and then Fridays, everything else. So movies, books, games, all that good stuff. So definitely tune in to hear Chris's hot takes <laughs> on whatever right. he's been consuming all week. Um, but with that being said, I'll jump right into our first topic. So uh, Chris Jones wrote in with uh, the, the current one. So the NSA and uh, CISA red and blue team share top 10 cybersecurity misconfig misconfigurations. So um, the executive summary, right? I'll just read it real quick. So the National Security uh, Agency and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency are releasing this joint cybersecurity advisory or CSA to highlight the most common cybersecurity misconfigurations, there we go, in large organizations and detail the tactics, techniques, and procedures or TTPs actors use to exploit these misconfigurations. So um, with that being said, I'd like to go through the top 10 with Chris, and then we can kind of talk over um, our experience with it or what we think about their uh, priorities and their 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 top 10 list, right? Mm -hmm. What you got, Chris? Right, so the first misconfiguration is default configurations of software and applica applications, right? With that said, it's the default configurations leave a lot of vulnerability because a lot of companies won't tailor their specific needs or security requirements to those software application software applications, right? So let's see what's one big example. Certain certain protocols or, or uh, ports may be turned on in you know software defined networks, or people are going with uh, let's see a. Oh, I just noticed that the an array for access control is, but things like that are left wide open, right? So something may not be tailored to specific organizations. And this would leave them vulnerable to attack. Um, and the second uh, misconfiguration is improper user uh, separation of user and administrative privilege. So that's actually something very common that we've seen uh, throughout very really uh, the highest levels of uh, like government, right? Because uh, administrators tend to get very they they want to be they want to be control, right? Like I mean, I was a system administrator for a long time. I just wanted to have the the one, I wanted to have the rights. And two, I wanted to be able to do my regular day-to-day -day job as well, you know, any browsing or any the research I might have to do for some of my projects. Uh, that said, some, something simple as, hey, if you're on a administrative account on Windows, you shouldn't be able to browse the internet, you know, carte blanche versus, you know, on a user, I mean, not carte blanche, but, you know, that with the same rights that a user would have. Right, there should be some guardrails there. Exactly. So I, I remember when I first signed into a, like an organization that was doing their job right, right? Um, I was like, 
oh crap, I can't, I can't access my Outlook email. What's going on here? Or I can't access my, I can't access Gmail from my um, administrative account, right? But those types of configurations are important for uh, something called data exfiltration, right? Like specifically when you're dealing with you know, access control lists or specific configurations on Windows, you want to be able to segment and uh, segregate those um, those those functions when you're a user. So you got any more experience with that, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. Um, so when I worked uh, as, as network um, network engineer and admin, same thing. Like at, mm -hmm. at the time, the Air Force was trying to separate uh, every single um, part of the infrastructure, right? And you'd have, uh, I believe at the time they called it IMS, right? Would it just be your network uh, admin and engineering network? So you had no access to your normal uh, unclassified or, or secret networks. They were all enclaves onto themselves. Right. Um, but with that came real, real estate, right? So I had to go from two PCs to three PCs to eventually four PCs. Right. I have an admin PC for every network that was in control of. So you got to think about power. You got to think about dense real estate uh, and things of that nature, right? So it can be kind of costly. But uh, the simple solution is just to, to separate those things logically where, like you said, you can't access the the uh, worldwide internet. You can't access your uh, your Gmail or your uh, your Google Drive or things of that nature. Um, and that pretty much allows the the good separation between um, your your admin and the rest of the world. So like, people can jump in potentially either pilfer credentials or escalate their privileges from the, the things they stole. Um, with number three, the insufficient internal network monitoring, uh, you would think that'd be a no-brainer, right? But again, these solutions, like you, you have, you have companies that will have all the tools, right? They'll be top of the line. They'll have all of the things, but it doesn't feed into a sim, right? So you have eight different uh, tools that are giving you all these different alarms and flags, and it's just. But at the same time, you have to log into all these different things to track them. You have to track all the emails. It can be uh, analysis paralysis. Right. So um, the best thing for you to do is to, to have all this stuff feed into a sim of some sort that can give you some kind of actionable, digestible information. In the future, I'm sure we'll see a, a bunch of AI add-ons and tools that will feed into that as well. Um, right. We're, we're almost there, right? With Copilot, um, I think um, Microsoft has a lot of solutions that they're working on. So they have Copilot, they have, um, I think Sentinel's getting some kind of plug-in or something like that. Uh, and then there's a bunch of other companies that we saw when we were walking around uh, Huntsville during the uh, cybersecurity summit where everybody has their own flavor of this is what AI is going to do for your security. Right. It kind of segment or kind of piggyback off that. Um, I think sim solutions, right? All those uh, solutions to monitor your networks, I think they're very cost prohibitive as well for many organizations. Yeah. They don't see that as a that they don't see that as a necessary expense because they're they're focused on the bottom line. They're focused on how can we be profitable as a business. Um, and things like security, unfortunately, are an afterthought. Right. <laughs> And, and, and that's the unfortunate part of it, right? It's it's kind yeah. of like, um, we're, we're still going, we're still in the treadmill, like where it's mm -hmm. it's like security after the fact, security after the fact, um, not kind of thinking like this, this is a necessary expense. This is like utility bill, basically. Like you need power, you need internet, you need water, you need cybersecurity. Um, and, and it's not to to hype it up too much, right? Because that's our own bias and we're in the in industry uh, doing such. 
However, right. you have your MGMs, you have your Caesars, you have your Colonial Pipelines, you have your JBS meat packing plants. Uh, you have all these big in, in, entities being struck down uh, cybersecurity-wise, paying hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars uh, on the back end when they could have just paid smaller amounts of money to get the ball rolling initially. Right. And then next on the list, we've got lack of network segmentation. So that's more along the lines of having your, so you can have a company on having VLANs in place, right? So for those that don't know, it's a virtual LAN. So people yeah. can actually segment network traffic based on really however an uh, organization wants to define it. So in terms of department or even something as simple as you can have your data and voice VLANs, right? So for voice or, or just internet access. And then again, uh, things like network segmentation are definitely an afterthought until uh, and the company grows to the point where they need that level of segmentation. If you have a large organization and they don't have network segmentation, right? That's a big no-no, right? Because especially when you're when you're geographically uh, spread out throughout the states or even internationally, and then to in addition to that, it's the hybrid work environment. Now that we've got it won't have VPNs and things like that installed, or just, and they're just working off, you know, Google or standard, you know, cloud offerings uh, that are open source, which are definitely less secure than uh, a centrally managed provider, some type of VPN using the Zscaler, things like that, through an organization. Um, and then next, we got poor patch management. Right. So that one's definitely a a, a definite topic because because. A lot of attacks, right? When, when you don't have patch management, when, when, you, when, even when you let's say you have a a large amount of assets, and even one, a few of those assets within your organization aren't patched, that leaves just that many more attack vectors that a um, a threat or you know somebody even just wanting to be malicious can have on on the on the environment. Right. So poor patch management is definitely it's 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 an entire process, right? There, right. I mean, with I mean, this is coming up with you, you gotta have all these change management processes and you know, configuration control boards, things of that nature. Um, I, I understand why that can be prohibitive in terms of if there's a lot if the administrators feel like they're handicapped per se, but there needs to be a process in place. And it is it is very expensive and costly. Right. And you have to ask somebody who's interested in the process, um, mm -hmm. I think is, is a big one to attach to it because you need to be, you need to be kind of plugged in to the, the latest uh, news. Like, yeah, so like right here at the, the other side of the viral podcast. Right? That's right. About zero exactly. Time. But you need someone who, who finds it interesting, who is uh, on those forums, who sees the zero days and then can work it into your patch management process. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they also need to be able to speak uh, well, uh, both to the to the people above them, to the the, the C-suite or the at least the person interfacing with the C-suite, uh, as well as with their peers, right? Because you have a, a lot of people who are very technical, but they speak very technical, and they are unable to um, uh, kind of justify or explain it to somebody who really cares about the bottom line, right? Like that's cool and all, uh, but what does a zero day have to do with us? And then you can break it down, and then make sure you're putting the right foot forward in your patch management cycle, as well as the money that's involved in, in doing so. Um, with that being said, the next is bypass of security, or I'm sorry, bypass of system access controls. So um, the way I interpret this one, and I can actually click it. So if you go to the uh, the link that will be in the, uh, the description, 
uh, it'll actually send you to the CISA, uh, the document that we're, we're talking about, and it has uh, links to kind of break down what each one means. So in this case, bypass of system access controls is a malicious actor can bypass system access controls by compromising alternate authentication methods in an environment. If a malicious actor can collect hashes in a network, they can use the hashes to authenticate using non-standard means, such as pass the hash or pH. So uh, basically it's the mimicking of accounts, right? Um, so with that, uh, you have to have a, a pretty good system in place um, to first stop man in the middle attacks. Um, so whatever your your um, your IPS, IDS, whatever that is, uh, both host-based or within your network, uh, as well as uh, a FIM, right? So like a, a file integrity management or, or manager um, is, is basically uh, just that, like it, it sniffs out the hashes to make sure that they still are the same once they land wherever they're going, right? So it makes sure that the integrity of the file has not changed. Uh, so that that should be a a solution that you're either looking into getting or you already have. Mm -hmm. What is next? Because I messed up the document because I jumped. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So next up the list, we've gotten weak or misconfigured multi-factor authentication methods. So uh, within the reading, it says some networks require accounts that use smart cards or tokens. Multi-factor requirements are can be misconfigured so that the password hashes or accounts never change. Um, and, I mean, really in this case, you wanna have strong multi-factor authentication methods, specifically ones that don't use phone numbers, right? Because SMS text is unencrypted, right? So uh, we're looking at wanting to use, you know, uh, soft multi-factor authentication methods like a Google Authenticator, which have a, a one-time password, right? So things like that. But within the DoD itself, right, we've got our, something you have and something you know being your CAC card, right, or your CAC, uh, which is a token, and then something you know, would, which would be the PIN number, right? So that's right. two-factor authentication. In this case, uh, this seems to be more of a uh, ingrained issue because if they're misconfigured so that hashes never change, that definitely a problem because when those hashes are stored in some type of repository, usually in the Etsy slash shadow file within Linux or wherever it might be, right? If, an, if, if a malicious actor can get into that file and those, it, and if they do not change their hashes, because a lot, remember a lot of the times uh, that exfiltration, they'll get, they, they can get data that's you know, months old, right? And if they right. never change, they have, they'll have continuous access they'll access to your accounts and things of that nature. Right, and uh, we, we kind of have to land a plane on this one, um, but I thought this was a really good conversation. Uh, the yeah. last three being insufficient access control lists, so uh, ACLs on network shares and services. Uh, number nine being poor credential hygiene, uh, which we could talk about to infinity. And then number 10 being unrestricted code execution. So it's talking about you devs, the people who uh, <laughs> <laughs> want all the keys to the kingdom all the time. Right. But definitely continue to tune in throughout the week. So Monday, Tuesday, our topics, Wednesday, discussion. Uh, and then Fridays, everything else. Abacon will be here all week. Please uh, look him up on LinkedIn, uh, which the link will be provided. Hit us up at all the sites that go by our name. Stay safe, stay secure.